I'm going to continue our series in the book of Acts today. Last week we took a break from that for Easter, but going to jump back into Acts chapter 12. I'm going to read a lengthy passage of scripture for you, and then we'll expound on that. Acts 12 verse 1 says this, About that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James the brother of John with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. She kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to him with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. I want to preach for just a little bit on this thought. The power of a praying church. The power of a praying church. Let's pray together. Jesus, pray right now that your presence and power would accompany the preaching of your word. Lord, that your spirit would minister to us. That your word would take root in our hearts and lives. That we would be changed and transformed into what you want us to be. Into what you want us to do. That we would do it with all of our might. We thank you give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. There's two things I want to bring to your attention. The first has to do with lifelines or uh, it, I really thought was th as I was thinking about this message, I was thinking about uh, the show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I don't know if anybody's ever seen that, heard of it. But on that show, the, the, the idea is that you answer a series of questions and Initially, it was 15 when they started it in the UK, but then it got down to 12 questions that 
that you had to answer. And as you answered these questions, each successive question would be worth twice as much as the one before. So question 10 worth $250,000. And if you got question 10 or any of the questions before that, you could choose to walk away if you didn't know the answer. All the way, question 10, as I said, $250,000. If you chose to go to 11 and you got it right, you'd walk away with $500,000. And if you got 11 right, you would get to question 12, and it's worth a million dollars. And you could walk away with a million dollars. But knowing that most people were not going to be able to get all 12 questions correct, and they would increase in the, the difficulty of the questions as it would go, they had this concept of lifelines or things that you could do to help you get the answers that you needed. One of the lifelines was 50-50. And what that would mean is out of the answers, they would take two of the wrong answers. There were four answers. It's a multiple choice thing, which you would think would be easy, but they would take two of the answers away, and now you only had two answers to choose from, the right one and the wrong one. It's a lifeline, helping you out, helping you get the right answer so you could walk away with a million dollars. And the second lifeline was ask the audience. That if you weren't sure of the answer to the question, then you could do a survey of the audience. And the audience would all weigh in on what they thought the correct answer would be. And sometimes they knew and sometimes they didn't. And so you would, you would look at the results of what the audience had picked, and then you would decide if you wanted to go with their answer, go with the majority or go with something else. It was a lifeline. And then the third lifeline was phone a friend. That if you didn't know what, you were, what the answer was, if you didn't have a clue and you maybe had exhausted your other ones, or maybe you went to phone a friend first, but you could call the person of your choosing and ask them if they knew the answer to your question, or they knew the solution to the problem. These were lifelines. The reality is this, is that in life, we very seldom, when it comes to really important things, we don't have lifelines like this. We don't have a 50-50, or just ask the audience, or just phone a friend, but we have something that is actually better. We have the ability to talk to the God of the universe. The one who created all things, the one who everything that you see, he spoke it into existence. The one who has all knowledge and has all wisdom, the one who is everywhere present. We have the ability to talk to him and the Bible calls that prayer. That we can go to God in prayer for whatever situation we find ourselves in. We can ask Him for His help. We can ask Him for His wisdom. We can ask Him for His guidance. We can ask Him to weigh in in our situation and in our life. We call that prayer. In our world, we're, we have a lot of things that are considered powerful. We have forces of nature that people... Talk about how powerful these forces of nature are and that tornadoes and hurricanes and typhoons, they can bring mass destruction and mass damage. They can, they, they, the power in those is unfathomable. We have things like an atomic bomb and the nuclear energy that is released that is beyond oftentimes our comprehension. We can't really comprehend. 
how powerful those things are, but regardless of how powerful those things are, God is the one who has all power. His power far exceeds anything that we can look at in nature or anything we can look at in our culture or our society. God is by far exceeding all of that. And the Bible tells us that when we have His Spirit, that when His Spirit is dwelling in us, that the power of God is working in us. Paul would write at the end of Ephesians 3, that he does exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. That when you and I follow Jesus Christ, we have His power living in our lives. And we have something better than all of those other lifelines, that we have the power of an all-powerful God that we can pray to and ask Him to be at work in us. When we pray, we access God's power, and then anything is possible. Anything is possible. Let me ask you, there's a lot less energy in the room than last week. We had our, a record number last week, for those of you that don't know, of 86 in our new church plant. They all got their church out for the month. <laughs> a lot of people sick, a lot of people traveling out of town. But it really doesn't matter how many people are here as long as God is here. Because His power is present everywhere. And when we show up, He reveals and manifests His power. I often ask people for needs. Do you have a need that you want us to pray for? And I know people have needs. You can have conversation and you can pick up what they need, but when you ask them about prayer, oftentimes they're like, no, I don't need anything. And the reality is that they either don't believe God will do anything or that He can do anything. My need is too small and God doesn't care about that or my need is too big and God can't do anything about that. But I've come to tell you today that when we pray, we access God's power and anything is possible. That there is nothing impossible with our God. If you believe that, would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Nothing is impossible with our God. The reality is that the reason we fail to see God work is because we fail to pray or believe that He can and will answer. Our text today is an enigma because in our text, you have a group of people that are praying that don't really believe God is going to answer. Which is why at the end of the passage that I read to you, they're going, no, you got to be crazy, Rhoda. Peter can't be at the door. Peter's in prison. They're praying for God to do the miraculous, but when he does, they don't really believe he's going to do it. And when Peter finally gets in the house, they are amazed. We can't believe God actually did something. I'll be honest with you, I've prayed a lot when I wasn't really confident God would work and God would move. But there's probably a lot more times when I failed to pray, not just pray without faith, but I failed to actually pray. We serve a God who answers prayer today. 
Anybody believe that? He is a God who answers prayer. And so from this passage and from that idea, I want to bring to you two concepts. The first is this, the principles of prayer. And I'm going to take three principles from prayer out of Acts chapter 12, verse 5. And it's not an exhaustive list, but I want to just stick in the text today. The first is this, is that prayer is to be earnest. You see that on the screen, but earnest prayer was made. That word earnest there means continual or intense That this idea of not just praying one time, but to continually pray and seek God. There is an acronym, pray until something happens or push. Pray until God moves, until God works in our lives. Pray until we get an answer. Not just any answer, but a complete answer. Pray until God comes through or He just says, no, I'm not going to do it. And if I could use this message as a confessional today, there have been plenty of times where I've bought into the idea, I'm just going to pray one time and because I have so much faith, one time's all it takes. There are instances where one time is all it takes, but there are a lot more times in the Bible and a lot more illustrations in Scripture of praying and keep praying and then pray some more. And when you think you've prayed enough, then you do it again. That we pray until something happens, until God does whatever it is you're asking for Him. Or He just says, no, I'm not going to do it. Sometimes we get a little bit of an inkling. We're praying for some kind of financial blessing in our life and we we need $1,000 and we get $100 and we stop praying. But I would tell you, if you need $1,000, keep praying until you get the $1,000. Don't settle for the little bit. If you're sick and you need healing, don't pray, well, I feel a little bit better and I'll stop praying. No, keep praying until God brings a miracle and complete healing. Continual prayer. It's what earnest means. It is continual and intense. The intense part of this is the idea that it's not just, Lord, this is what I need. Would you help me out here today? That's not very intense. That's not very passionate. That doesn't really act like I need God to do something. But I would tell you that the greater the need, the greater the intensity that we should have in prayer. I have a prayer list. Once again, I'm confessing. I have a prayer list. And My prayer list comes up, I actually have it set up as a recurring task for all these different things that I pray for on a given day. And there are plenty of days when it pops up on my to-do list to pray and and I'll pray, oh Lord, take care of this. And what you just heard me say is sometimes the intensity that I'm, oh Lord, do this. When it's important, it's more than, oh, Lord, just take care of this. That there is an intensity that comes and as we seek God. That God, I really need you to do this. I've got to have this. I can't live without this. I've got to have resolution and I've got to have an answer. 
And it calls for an intensity in prayer that's more than just speaking a few words. It is, the Bible would call fervent prayer. It's what Hannah would do, you couldn't hear her. It's recorded in 1 Samuel, you couldn't hear her. The, the priests are looking at her thinking she's lost her mind, but she's intense in her prayer as she's silently praying, oh God, give me a son. That We need to have an intensity in prayer and we need to continually pray. And I would tell you that if our attitude is we can take it or leave it, God, if you want to answer, great. If you don't want to answer, no big deal. I would tell you that most of the time he's not going to answer. If it doesn't matter to you, then it probably doesn't matter to him. But when something matters to us and something is bothering us and we need something from God, and we're seeking him earnestly. And intensely, God will step in and He will answer. He is a God who answers prayer. James would write it, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's effective when we fervently pray And when we're following Jesus Christ, that God answers our prayer. The second of the principles of prayer is this, is that you see it in the scripture there, but prayer was made to God. This is a seeming redundancy But the Bible uses a a phraseology that you don't see in English when it refers to God, the God that you and I serve. It's always preceded by a definite article. So what it really would say in Greek is prayer was made to the God. And we don't translate the God because it just doesn't make sense in English, but, but it makes sense in the culture of the day and and the fact that they're serving and worshiping all manner of gods they're worshiping the emperor and they're worshiping jupiter they're worshiping venus they're worshiping mars they're worshiping any number of gods and so the writer says prayer was not just made to any god but prayer was made to the god and we would think well of course prayer is made to god but i think he's driving home the point is that There is an object of our prayer, and it is the God of the universe that we pray to. And because we pray to that God, anything is possible. In a culture of a plurality of God, which God are we praying to? As David said before Goliath, and Elijah said on Mount Carmel, this day let there be known that there is a God in Israel. Goliath and the Philistines worshiping any number of gods, but David said, I want everybody to know there is a God in Israel. And God is going to show up when we pray to Him. And Elijah, as he's confronting the prophets of Baal, and he's been making fun of their their prayer to this God that is asleep, or this God that can't hear, or this God who's worn out. He said, but I want you to know there is a God in Israel, and fire fell from heaven. 
when we pray to the one true and living God, anything is possible. And I would tell you that my prayer today is this, and my prayer most days is this, let everybody know there is a God in Olathe. I don't have time to go into the story, but when I was walking around the Hobby Lobby building at 135th and Merlin, one of the things that I was praying is, God, when you give us this building, they will know there is a God in Olathe. And I don't want to go too far afield in faith, but it looks like God's going to provide that in the next few months as he has brought people together who are going to give some $10 million to the church to buy that building and refurbish it. Why? So we can say, look at us. No, but so we can say, look at God. That there is a God in Olathe. And you look at this crowd and say, what do we need that building for? Because this is not the crowd that God has in Olathe. This is not what he wants to accomplish here. This is not the extent of everything. But God is in the business of saving people. And there are a lot of people who need his salvation. And when we need something, only God can help. And only God can hear. As the prophet would say, we're not talking to a God who has ears but cannot hear. Or who has a mouth but cannot speak. We're praying to the one true and living God. The third principle that we see in this text is this. It's that prayer was made to God by the church. There is unquestionably a, a role in a process of individual prayer that we should pray every day. That individually we should seek the face of God. It's about our relationship with Him. It's about the things that we need individually. But there is also plenty of times when we need to pray together. And in this case, the church had the need that their leader was in prison. And so the church had the need, so the church prayed. God can use one person, but He wants to use everyone. And that means that when we come together and we pray together, the likelihood of God moving increases and the likelihood of God being at work increases. He has called us to be a body of believers, a family of of believers and so we pray together and we pray for the same need and we pray for the same process we whatever it is we're praying together that's why we do prayer requests most churches i venture to say that many churches you visited if you go around here at olathe they're not doing prayer requests that's fine for them and that's not to knock them but we do it because we want to pray together for what our people need that there is power in corporate prayer. There is power in submitting our needs and our request to God. Second thing is this, is that power of prayer. 
I would tell you that prayer moves the hand of God. That when we pray, God moves. When we pray, God works. We see an angel on the scene, and I'm going to talk about it, the angel in, in just a few minutes. But understand this, that angels don't make their own decisions. If an angel shows up and helps you, the angel didn't decide to help you. Because angels are doing God's bidding. Which means that before the angel moves, God moves. That before the angels do anything, God is at work and God is making the decision and God is getting himself involved in your need. The dedication of the temple, Solomon would say, Lord, if we sin and you punish us for our sin, you put us in, put us in captivity and we repent, will you deliver us again? And God's response to him was this, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That God puts this idea of praying first, if you pray, I'll move. If you pray, I will work. If you pray, I will do what you need. And I can tell you plenty of times where God moves without me praying and God has probably been at work without you praying, but we can have no confidence that God is going to be at work in our situation unless we ask. Unless we seek His face, we can have no confidence that He's getting involved. God desires a relationship with us. He desires to bless His people. He desires to bless you. Typically, it is in, when you have young kids, it is the grandparents that dote on the children. Give them whatever they want. Give them all the candy, all the sugar they can handle. Buy them all kinds of things, and then they send them home with the parents. Laughing all the way. God desires a relationship with us, and the reality is that God dotes on his children. My best friend, one of my best friends, his father was a great and godly man, and he used to say this. He said, God loves all of his children, but he spoils me. And I would tell you that that is the way God is. He wants to be in relationship, and when we pray and when we seek his face, God spoils us and he moves in and he answers and he blesses us as his children God hears the prayers of those who belong to him and those who are in the process of coming to him when you're his child and you pray he hears you when you pray when you're his child and and you're talking to him he hears you the Bible says that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us and we have whatsoever we desire of Him. 
but He also hears the prayers of those who are in process of coming to Him, those prayers of repentance, those prayers of health, those prayers like John Newton, the slave trader who found himself at times enslaved and found himself as captain of his own ship numerous times and who found himself one night in the middle of a storm. Thinking that he would not survive because of the magnitude of the storm and tying himself to the will of the ship and made the prayer, God, if you get me out of this, I'll change my life and I'll serve you. God indeed tuned in to that prayer and delivered him from the storm. And John Newton would go on to pen the words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Why? Because God hears the prayers of people that are his own and people who are coming to him and people who are seeking him. Prayer moves the hand of God. God works when we pray. Prayer also unleashes the supernatural. The angel that I referenced earlier, we see this angelic visitation as Peter thinks he's having a vision. The angel comes hits him in the side, which I find interesting. He doesn't just gently nudge him awake. He doesn't say, Peter. (laughs) Maybe it's because Peter's hard-headed and Peter wouldn't wake up. And when he does wake up, he still thinks he's in the middle of a vision. I'm dreaming. This is pretty cool. This is a great dream. But it is the angel of the Lord who leads him out of the prison. And I would tell you that prayer unleashes the supernatural. And whether it's an angel or whether it's the Holy Spirit at work, God works and God unleashes the supernatural when we pray. We serve a God who wants to heal, who wants to provide, who wants to give peace. And He does it supernaturally. We live in a culture where it's much easier to provide for ourselves than it is to trust God for His provision. In a culture where it's much easier to go to the doctor or take a pill than it is to trust God. Confession time once again. I'm no exception. I'm taking allergy medicine every night and to be honest with you I haven't one time asked God to take that away and maybe because I haven't asked I'm having to take medicine every night it's easier to pop a Claritin maybe than it is to trust God but when we pray and we really trust him he unleashes the supernatural. And thirdly, the power of prayer is this, that it sets the captive free. Peter is, of course, set free from a physical prison. 
incarcerated for no other reason than he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Placed in prison, and, and not only is he placed in prison, he's getting ready to be killed the next day because he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And the non-Christian Jews don't want to hear that message. They don't want to believe that message. Peter set free from a physical prison, but Jesus, in quoting the book of Isaiah, said that he has come to set the captive free. And when he uses that terminology, it's not just those who are bound in chains, physical chains, or those who are put in a physical prison, but he has come to set those who are spiritually captive, he has come to set them free. And when we pray, God sets the captive free. Prayer works on the hearts of those who need God. That when we pray for those who are in need of salvation and those who are in need of deliverance, God works and brings about situations in their lives that would cause them to choose Him. Cause them to choose to submit to Him and choose to serve Him. And and I referenced John Newton earlier, but I could tell you that what John Newton would say is that part of his salvation and his deliverance was this, not just that he prayed that night on a ship, but that he had a mom who had been praying. And because of all the prayers that had been prayed, then he turned to God that night on a ship. That when we pray, God brings situations and circumstances into our lives to cause us to choose to follow Him. To choose to go His way. Prayer, when we pray, not only does it do something in the hearts of those we pray for, but it does something in our hearts so that we will be messengers of deliverance. God is wanting to set the captive free. That happens when the church prays. Aren't you thankful that we can go to Him in prayer? That we can turn to the one true and living God in prayer. That God hears us when we pray the principles of prayer from this passage are this that prayer is to be earnest prayer is to be directed to God prayer is to be corporate and the power of prayer that we see is this that prayer moves the hand of God prayer unleashes the supernatural and prayer sets the captive free. Would you stand together? If all of those are true, then the response that you and I should have is that we are to be faithful in prayer so that God will work in us and through us and for us. That if God really wants to move when we pray, then that means we need to pray. 
But if we don't believe that He works, and if we don't believe that He answers prayer, then guess what? We don't pray. But if we really believe that He can do anything, that all power belongs to Him, and that the God of the universe moves and works when we call upon Him, then there's only one option for us, and that is for us to pray. I want to take it beyond this, but I had written this down that You heard that last part about God moves in our hearts so that we will become messengers of deliverance. That deliverance is primarily in our culture of those who need Jesus Christ. And our prayers for the lost should be continual, but they should also be passionate. They should be earnest Jesus, when he's looking over the city of Jerusalem, he said this, how oft would I have gathered you under a wings like a chick does our, does our uh, babies. How would I, I want to gather you, but you would not come to me. So we should pray passionately and continually for the lost. But not only that, for whatever it is that you have need of, We should pray passionately and continually until God answers our prayer. My question to you is this. What do you need God to do? What do you need God to work in? Who do you need or want to see saved? What can you ask for and believe that God will do it? wasn't sure how I was going to end this message. But my desire is this. Is that you would see God work in response to your prayer. So what do you need Him to do? What do you need Him to do? to work out in your life? Is it a family member you want to see saved? Is is it healing for you or someone else you know? Is it provision that you need? He can do it all today in a moment. Our crowd's a little smaller today, so I'm going to invite everybody to come to the front today. And whatever you need, no matter how big, no matter how small, would you just lift your hands and would you ask God to be at work in that? Would you make your way to the front, join these that are already here. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for who you are. Thank you, Lord, that we can call upon you at all times.